friends, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Plant Medicine, Cannabis, Psychedelics, and Pharmaceuticals. Today we have a very special clinician with us, but before we even get to Dr. Wasser, uh, let's do house cleaning. <laughs> we are almost springtime, house cleaning. Yeah, this show is for educational purposes, should not be taken as medical advice. Consult with your physician, clinician for all your medical needs. Do not stop or start any medicine without talking to your doctor. Having said that, show is sponsored by WCI Health. They are alternative health and wellness company. They are the makers of glows. When you think glows, think beauty within. Also sponsored by WCI Health University. The intersection of psychedelics and science education for caregivers. And who the heck am I? <laughs> I am, of course, if you are just joining us, Dr. Ho, Dr. Lola, I'm a clinical pharmacist and plant medicine specialist. Having said that, today we have with us Dr. Brooke Worcester. Dr. Worcester is the chief medical advisor at ETIOS. She is a cancer pain uh, specialist in the management. Uh, she specializes in cancer pain management. So that's a big deal. Uh, in our community, seeing the uh, levels of uh, uh, destruction that this uh, particular disease has done to our community. So it's a great honor to have her on the show today. Apart from being a pain specialist, Dr. Worcester is also a cannabis researcher at Thomas Jefferson University in Pennsylvania. Dr. Worcester, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Great, great to have you here. So uh, before we even get into uh, into today's, tell us a little bit about ETHOS, your background, apart from what I have said, whatever you would like to emphasize before we go into today. Yeah, happy to. So um, my background is that <clears throat> I kind of come from the pain management space and specialize in cancer pain management. And how I got into cannabis and interested and, and cannabis research was really through patients. They would come and, and or their family members or caregivers would say, you know, what about cannabis? What, what do I do? Or a friend gave me this or a neighbor told me to try this kind of what is it? And, you know, in the medical community, there isn't a lot of attention that's paid mm -hmm. kind of, especially on the, the positive side to cannabis. So, a lot of times I felt like I had to say, I don't know. And, uh, no. and that felt pretty bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. After a while of that, I kind of said, you know, I, I'm going to take this upon myself and, and figure out some more about kind of what the potential is and the benefits and the risks. And, and then as kind of luck would have it in the state of Pennsylvania, at the same time, the PA legislature was passing legislation that enabled academic medical centers like Jefferson to partner with um, groups like Ethos. So vertically integrated grow production and dispensing companies so that we could kind of collaboratively do research. And that, you know, I think is a wonderful model. And that's kind of what got me to this place. Awesome. Awesome. And one, uh, before I even go on, I want to say thank you for joining, I mean, jumping into this space. <laughs> we need people like you uh, 
absolutely need people like you. You have a, um, I have a quote that you just, uh, during one of your interview recently, you, uh, you said, as most states pass uh, medical marijuana and adults use law, it's critical that doctors, particularly oncologists and other cancer team members catch up and learn how to talk to their patient about cannabis. So what kind of disconnect have you seen uh, as it relates to patient uh, providers uh, relationship yeah. when it comes to cannabis? So I think it's, you know, it runs the gamut and it's incredibly common that patients feel disconnected from their clinicians and or feel uncomfortable, especially around something like cannabis, kind of bringing it up. And clinicians rarely bring it up to their patients because they don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. And so it's kind of one of those, if I start the conversation, I don't know where to tell people to go, right? So it ranges from nobody talks about it and then kind of people are either using it and almost feeling guilty or they're not using it, but kind of have been told this could be a potentially beneficial thing to a conversation happening either because a patient brings it to the clinician or the physician starts the conversation and, and someone says, yeah, that might be a good thing. But then they'll say, you know, I don't know anything about it. Just go into the dispensary. And if you have a patient that is kind of cannabis naive and has other medical complications or is on other, you know, a bunch of other medicines, it's not the safest strategy to say, you know, just use whatever, right? We all know the breadth of kind of potency and formulation out on the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so to have a little bit of guidance there is important. Um, and so I see that disconnect happening all the time. We actually did a study looking at 10,000 of our kind of cancer patients over the past couple of years and asking them, how many of you even feel comfortable talking to your physician about this. And it was only about a quarter of those people that said, I feel comfortable talking about. It. So we're missing three quarters of our patients. Yeah. Yeah. And when you even want to throw in there uh, on top of all that, the fact that the stigma, the hysteria surrounding uh, reform madness, oh, you're going to and the injustice part of it. Yeah. So even have a population of the whole patient then when you begin to uh, divide them into groups there are even some groups don't even want you to even bring it up even you as a clinician thinking of bringing it up because mm -hmm. of the uh, stigma that has uh, been attached to it it is so so sad for me i say this on the show every day i grew up with herbal medicine what is the difference between cannabis and our spinach our broccoli the last time I checked, Dr. Wester, we're still growing this stuff uh, in the soil, just like I grow my tomatoes and all that stuff. And yeah, I know we are going into yeast fermentation and RG, uh, RG, uh synthesis of cannabinoid and other botanical, but the bottom line, the way Mother Nature gave these plants to us is to put it in the soil and it grows. What is the difference? The difference is that nature was good to us to add uh, a little bit of the amazing thing that you will be talking to us today about uh, when it comes to this plant called cannabis. Let us not even 
go there. Like you said, you uh, one of your other quotes, you said your patient, they tell us they are not comfortable talking to their doctors about cannabis, mm. that their doctor isn't even helpful, even the ones that have the confidence to talk about that. So more cancer patients are getting their information from dispensary or online. Mm-hmm. We now have over at least a couple of dozen public states online for medical cannabis. Are you surprised that more physicians, clinicians generally are not engaged in even trying to understand cannabis? And when you compare mm-hmm. it to the medication that they are dispensing, mm-hmm to the botanical that we're talking about today? I am and I'm not. I think that unfortunately the medical culture is very rooted in um, kind of hard scientific evidence. And for a plant that's been around for, you know, ever and has been used kind of around the medical society in most in most ways, it hasn't gone the pathway that prescription drugs have, so to speak, right? So very regimented phase one, two, three clinical trials. And, you know, right or wrong, medicine and doctors are often very rooted or stuck in that place. And I think, so it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people or a lot of of medical professionals sort of turn a blind eye to this. It does shock me that as access and use is increasing and we're seeing people benefit or honestly seeing people have bad side effects, it does shock and bother me that the medical culture hasn't gotten out of its own way a little bit to say, we need to pay attention to this. Like this is an important thing that our patients both want to use or are using. And we really need to figure out how to engage in that space. Yeah, yeah. So when we are even talking about, uh, you know, therapy, research, mm-hmm. and what I've been hearing out there sometimes is that, oh, there's not enough research. <laughs> how can we, how can folks even begin to talk about it when we they won't even allow research? Is it an issue of research? Because clinicians like me, I'm a clinical pharmacist myself. Mm -hmm. And like you said in one of your other quotes that professional, healthcare professional, they are not trained. That is normal. None of us were trained. You had to go dig, uh, dig up and start even when up to the level of going into research. I have to go on my own to learn and dig deep, going to scanning through all the literatures that we have there. And most of the literatures that we really have are coming out of Israel. I mean, for medical professionals like myself, are there enough education and training available to bridge the learning gap that we are still seeing right now? Because like you said, it's shocking to see all the stuff we have already, educational materials that we have, is there enough for clinicians to say, oh, there's still a gap there or what? No, there's not enough. I mean, I think for any healthcare professional, pharmacists, nursing, physicians, physician's assistants, you know, anyone, there's not enough. And I think there's not enough accessible education about it, right? I think that you know, 
And that's probably the answer forever, right? There's never enough that you can learn. So it's it's on us to keep kind of saying, here's what we need and help us develop the education for it. I think part of what has to happen is we need to kind of take away our own egos and sit and talk with our patients, right? And say, tell me what you've experienced. When, when you have a patient who has got kind of, you know, good experience or bad experience using cannabis, talk to them, learn from them. I mean, that's not the same as a randomized clinical trial, but it's better than hiding your head in the sand. And I think education does exist out there, right? It, it just takes some digging. And so for all of us, it's worth your time to do some digging. And then if you see something that is a gap, Let's, you know, let's raise our, our hands and make some noise about it and try to get other educational outreach and efforts kind of happening because it's slow, but I've seen the progress. I mean, I've seen it in Pennsylvania. I've seen it in states on the East Coast where that's starting to happen. And so, you know, I think it's kind of all about growing that momentum and continuing that. Yeah. So uh, my next question <laughs> for you, Dr. Worcesters, uh, I mean, is the fact that uh, I have had the school of thought in the field of uh, clinicians, you know, like you just mentioned, they're mm-hmm. like, okay, uh, I mean, I'm not ready to lose my license yeah. uh, over, over this stuff. So do you think, because this plan, yeah, state by state is still, uh, I mean, a lot, like I said, 30, at least 38 states already legalized, have some framework of legalization. What is your take in those clinicians that says, ah, I pay a lot of money <laughs> to get this certificate, this degree, um, I'm not ready to, to lose my license. Do, what do we do with that aspect of, or fear that comes with uh, losing licenses and things like that. You know, and unfortunately, that's a complete fallacy, right? That someone would lose their license when in good faith, all they were doing is engaging in a conversation with a patient. You're not dispensing it out of your office, right? So I think I, I understand the fear always. And I think, you know, accepting that or, or, allowing that fear, but then engaging in the conversation to say, in reality, you know, that's not the truth. That's never going to be the case. If you are sort of responsibly engaging in this space, you know, there's no kind of history or or uh, precedent that you would lose your license. Um you know, no one is saying hand out plants that you've grown to each of your patients. Like that's not at all what it is, but engaging in the dialogue and learning about it, we have to dispel that myth that you can lose your license for that. Yeah. Thank you for, I mean, folks, I mean, I hope you're listening to Dr. Worcester. She is a physician. She's done the regular degree and the advanced uh, studies. So, Dr. Worcester, when it comes to research, even awareness about these plants, what do you think the role of uh, big farmers uh, in, to, in this space? I mean, big farmers, when you're talking about uh, cancer, uh, cancer mm-hmm. me- medication, that's huge, pain medication. I mean, we've lost 
according to CDC, a couple of years back, at least over 100 people died daily of uh, opioid overdose. You know, and I do tell people, you are the expert when it comes to cancer pain management. Well, during my uh, rotation, I did do some cancer uh, rotation. I do tell patients, cancer patients in particular, when you see them going through pain, some of them, you don't even know the level of pain they're going through. You can ask somebody, somebody can be looking at you and not scream, and their pain is 10 because they've developed a, a system to, to cope with pain management in such a way that acute pain might not be the same. I might just cut my finger and start screaming the whole place down, whereby somebody sitting by me is going through a critical condition like cancer. What is the part of the big pharma? I know the big pharma probably just doesn't even want nothing to anything to be approved, considering the level of money that is being uh, generated from that space. Talk to me yeah. about that. You know, I think that's a tricky space. And I think we've seen a little bit of pharma kind of being interested in, in this. And and kind of to that point, things like Epidiolex have come to the marketplace. And there's some other work, <clears throat> especially in the kind of higher CBD rich space. But I don't think, I don't think big pharma knows. I think they're so sort of stuck because of the way that it is federally regulated right now that I think they see the potential, but not sure where their space is. I'd make the argument that just like I believe their space needs to be kind of education from a harm reduction perspective in opioids and responsible use and things like that, they should, you know, they have the resources, they have the bandwidth, they should sort of get into at least the education space to increase awareness of cannabis and where it's used and how it can be used and kind of what we know and what we don't. Um, I think even engaging in in that opportunity would probably go a long way. I think if the federal government changes their classification of cannabis, you'll see big pharma getting into it because, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? And they're not going to miss out on something like that. And I think we see kind of evidence of that in Europe and other places where there is some insurance coverage for cannabis. And if we start seeing that happening more and more, you know, I think that'll change the dialogue. But but for right now, they have kind of largely been silent in this space. And I, I totally agree with you that, I mean, what is there to lose? They have more to gain because even right now, when we talk about chronic condition like cancer, it's like all hands on deck. Back in the days, we never used to use a lidocaine patch Mm -hmm. uh, to manage uh, cancer pain. Now we 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 are able to dispense them uh, patches for neuropathic pain, uh, cancer related neuropathic pain for for our patient. So it's all hands on deck. Pain is pain. Pain is not gonna be okay. It's just a uh, narcissistic pain. Okay, I cut my finger. There is the neuropathic pain. There, there is the 
there is this central nervous system related pain. So we have to put everything on, on the table and that includes plant medicine like cannabis, that include uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, conventional pharmaceuticals. Anyway, hopefully, I mean, I guess part of what we, that is the beauty of having you and people like you in this space is to keep coming out with evidence-based data to say, no, it's not like, oh, you just work cause. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not like it just works cause. No, yeah. it works because we have data yeah. to show that it works. Most of our conventional pharmaceuticals were originally derived from plants. Yeah. So this work, if we have epidolis, folks, if we have epidolis, if we have marinol, dronabinol, that uh, dronabinol now being synthetic, if we can use the synthetic, why can't we use the plant-based? It doesn't make sense. So the power that be, if you're listening to us, we have Dr. Worcester say, here saying this work, we have clinical data, we can come in front of your, your Congress mm -hmm. <laughs> and explain the chemistry of how it was, how it, we can make you make sense of what doesn't make sense. Folks, Dr. Worcester, Dr. O can help you make sense. What doesn't make sense? Now let's go back to our patient, uh, Dr. Worcester. Uh, in one of your calls recently, you said uh, um, many patients are simply guessing and doing their best at both, uh, you know, both uh, adult use and even for medical purpose. They go to the dispensaries and or go online and just try to figure it out. You said the evidence is strong that cannabis is effective for cancer pain. It's also very likely effective for nausea, cancer-related nausea and vomiting, which is mm -hmm. what we are part of what we are using uh, dronabinol for. What are you seeing about the level of help the dispensary uh, are able to offer this patient? Well, and, it's all over and the Before work. you even go into that question, Dr. Worcester, we have to also admit the fact that these uh, bartenders, not, I mean, they are doing their best. They're not trained. They're not paid to do clinicians work. They did not go to medical school. They did not go to pharmacy school. They did not go to no nursing school. So they're not trained right. in the art of, in the mechanism of action of how this medicine works. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. And I think the degree of guidance that people get is all over the board, right? From literally nothing to kind of a really fulfilling kind of accurate experience in terms of, of getting what they need or like creating a match. Right. And I think I never <clears throat> would blame this on the bud tender, right. Or the people there. Yeah. That's, that's an impossible ask. You're asking someone to, to kind of make recommendations or, or do something that they just don't even have the, the training, the time, the experience to do. I think, and paying them minimum wage. Yeah. I think, I look at it a little bit like the way that we kind of think about or talk about what's called precision medicine in in cancer treatment, where cannabis is kind of a unique experience for people. And depending on your frequency of use and your tolerance to certain things, you're going to need a little bit more of a tailored experience. It's not a one size fits all product. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest things that happens at the bud tender level. 
right? A lot of them will say like, oh, this was great. And that might have been or likely have been because it was helpful for them in something. And and that, you know, I think that leaves a lot of people kind of guessing or, you know, trial and error. The other part that isn't fair is when you walk into a dispensary, those people have no idea what other medical issues you have going on, what other medicines you're on, right? And so unless you get really lucky and are spelling it out and someone understands it, you know, that's why there's a lot of trial and error involved. And and the system that we've created in place now doesn't allow a lot of visibility into kind of what's going on medically with a patient or someone on the dispensary side that has a lot of medical knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that is, uh, you are so spot on, Dr. Wester. And I also tell folks, these are medicine. <laughs> Just like you're not going to go over the counter and say, oh, Tylenol is over the counter. I can just grab it and go pee down. These are medicine. Botanicals have active ingredients in them. And like Dr. Wester is saying, you we have to know what other medicine you are using. We have yeah. to prevent that, especially in the Western world, whereby we are so into so many medications. We use a lot of pharmaceuticals here. Uh, so it is uh it is uh it is medicine, folks. We have to know what else you are on. I think it would go a long way if we even kind of got our act together enough to have a standardized labeling system for, for cannabis, for products, right? Because the way that they're labeled is all different state to state and how it's kind of shown concentration versus percentage of various cannabinoids versus ratios, that's confusing to patients. So I think one thing that I would, would say, you know, could be changed that would kind of a little bit come from the dispensary and the legislative side that wouldn't require a ton of work, but would just be to say, kind of like we do for other nutraceuticals or over-the-counter products, is like you have to have certain labeling standards. The way that you say what's in it is the same. And that would go a long way for patients, I think, helping them not be so confused. I love that you mentioned those standardized, and that's part of the uh, my curriculum for, for my students. Uh, at both at John Patrick University and mm -hmm. at my own uh, WCI Health University, which is and well in that when it comes to standardization, it's like wide wide west really. Yeah, yeah. Individual states are doing their own thing. One area, one state that I know is doing a great job in that space now right now is Oregon. They are forming yeah. their own standard. Yes. So follow in the botanical uh, space while everybody else is doing their own thing, you know. Finally, uh, Dr. Worcester, I have another of your quotes. You said, uh, patient knows this stuff. They are reading it online and hearing from friends, but they're also getting a lot of disinformation and bad advice from this thing. We as a medical community need to step up, embrace these resources that patients are using, whether they are in a legal state or, or use or not, mm -hmm. and provide some guidance. What else can you? What else can we do in the com in the community, especially in the healthcare space, to yeah. make sure patients are getting evidence based data? So ask them. 
Right. I mean, I think sometimes we trip over ourselves and feel like we're supposed to always have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And instead of, of thinking that way, just be curious about what your patients are bringing to the table. Right. So I ask them all the time, where are you getting your information from? What information have you got? Right. T show me, share it with me. And then I can say, oh, okay, this makes sense. Or this is this thread on Reddit was was probably not as accurate as what we know. And here's where I can guide you to, because there are some things that are a little bit more factual or a little less, you know, experiential of one person's kind of um, experience with cannabis. But I think the biggest thing that we can do is just be a little bit humble and say, tell me what you know, tell me what you're learning and let's engage in this dialogue because you don't have to know the answers as the healthcare kind of expert in the room. You have to be able to engage in the dialogue with your patients and then where you can guide them. You know, you'll see where you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, that is it. What else uh, from the works that you are doing your research, what else would you like to tell us today? Because I'm telling you, time goes so fast when we are talking this critical uh, topics. I'm like, whoa, time yeah. goes too fast. We're probably going to bring Dr. Worcester back, but talk to us, Dr. Worcester. What other uh, information would you like to give us today before you leave? So one of the things that we saw in a study where we followed about 250 people for a year that were using cannabis, um, and we checked in with them every other month and asked them kind of a lot of things about how they were feeling and their symptoms and their quality of life and what they were using. One of the biggest things that we saw is that people struggle a lot with having reliability of product. Meaning if I find something, let's say I go through the trial and error of that as a patient and I find a product that I felt was helpful for me. The next time I try to go back to the dispensary, it may or may not be there. And so people are switching products all the time, not because they want to necessarily, but because there isn't a lot of reliability always that what you had is still there. And so at a very minimum, what I tell people is write down what you had, right? The labeling is often on the outside of the product mm -hmm. and you toss that and then yeah. you have no idea what it is. Yeah. So write down what was yeah. in it and what you had so that you can get a little more consistency over time Yeah. if you found something that benefited right? That's a very easy first step. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, that is a journaling, writing it down, folks. You have to write it down until we get there. It's a journey, not a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Time goes fast when we are talking this great stuff. Dr. Worcester, where can we find you? So you can find me um, at, I'm at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, PA. We have a master's in cannabis medicine, science, and business. That um, is a wonderful educational opportunity. You can find me there. Um, it has all my contact information on that. Additionally, Ethos Cannabis, which is in multiple states across the East Coast, mm -hmm. you can find me there. I'm on their website and often sort of helping give out some kind of guidance from a health and wellness perspective on their social media too. Yeah. And we're going to put information about Dr. Worcesters on the show notes. Folks, that is it for today. Uh, find all the past episodes on cannabisradio.wci-health.com. 
Please read the show. Give us a five star and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and find the show on Hi Radio, Amazon, Google, and of course, WCI Health. And folks, Canadelic Miami is happening in about a week. Go grab your ticket. Use my code Dr. O as your to get 25% off. Also, we can still put you on our flyer if you would like to sponsor us at this event. I will be speaking and we will also have a booth at this space. Contact me and follow me on social at WCI Health 19 at Dr. Lola Ohamba on LinkedIn and WCI Health on Twitter. Until next time, folks, remember healthy plus well. Bye for now. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.